0: Uh thank you Dr Grant. Uh it's really a pleasure to have you joining us tonight. Thank you. I wondered if it's more challenging to treat a patient with an opioid addiction uh than someone using other types of drugs or using alcohol. So I would the yes and no. Um I think that's the the easy, the safe answers is yes and no. Yes, it is. It is. Diff- it's more difficult, especially when um, you know they're they're comparing their uh, their experience to other patients. It's one of the psychological uh, pitfalls of opioid use disorder um, that they will that comparison uh, of the severity of their of, of their drug of choice uh, is often. Uh, higher and so they will, um, uh, uh, you know. So we have to break through, uh, break through that. Uh, the, the intensity of of, of opioids uh, is far greater than the intensity that, we, that what we see of like someone with a uh, like a primary marijuana uh, or cannabis use disorder. Uh, now, when we compare it to alcohol, there's there's going to be some similarities, uh, and I don't want to get into the like the, I would say, like the uh, the neuro nerdy side of it all. Uh, but there are some similarities that, that we see uh, in the mechanisms of the of the addiction, uh, which can make it, uh, uh, I guess, easier, or I guess, uh, easier to treat. But at the same time, it does make it more difficult with um, just the nature of their withdrawal alone can, uh, can make it uh, more difficult, just the discomfort that they experience. Um, also, what when working with adolescents with opioid primary opioid use, uh, they mightily struggle with the, uh, that comparison that I just that I was just mentioning. Um, and their life experiences are also going to be different. Um, so we're having to uh, talk to them more about some of the, the shame and the guilt that they experience uh, from seeing some uh, horrific, things associated with their addiction that uh, a teen with a, a primary uh, uh, I'm going to say marijuana or maybe even sometimes even alcohol use you know, they may not have experience because opiates opioids take people into areas that they that, that they don't want to that they certainly they don't want to be in but that uh, those who have a primary marijuana addiction you know, may not even notice and simply the primary alcohol addiction. Dr. Grant, I, I remember how terrified my wife and I were when we first came to understand that uh, our oldest child had, you know what was addicted was suffering, struggling with substance use disorder. It was just so terrifying and disorienting. Mm-hmm. How do you help the families uh, of those first entering treatment? um, it, with, with that kind of situation? Uh, the first thing I do is let them know that I want to listen. They're going to have questions. I'll answer the questions, but the primary goal that I have and they, especially if it's a, if it's a um, first time family, I just want to listen. I want to hear what you've been through. Um, let, let's let the dust settle. Uh, on the crisis that brought your your loved one into treatment, and just just tell me what's going on. Uh, I do let them know that we don't have uh, you know we don't have hours, of course, um, but there's gonna be more opportunities for us to be able to talk, and and you know let, let them know that I am available, and that if for some reason I'm gonna be off, you know this is who else is gonna be available, so that way they know that with how isolating this disease can be that there's going to be someone who's going to be able to listen to them. So not just listening, but then also connecting them with resources. So um, different support groups in their area, um, books that are helpful. Some of them are addiction and recovery-focused books, and some of them are uh, mental uh, health-focused books. And then pointing them into resources, not just for like support groups, but also for getting their their side of the street, taken care of as well. Um, so reminding them, yes, addiction is a family disease. And what are you going to do to help yourself? Um, so taking that, that threatening T word away, you know, so therapy. Like what are you doing for your your self-care, which isn't just you know bubble baths and scented candles, but what are you doing to contribute to the lives of other people around you? Uh, yeah, and not to do it all at once because some families they want to just run head first into it, which I you know understand. But to to build up, um, you yeah, know, so that way it's not I'm trying to do everything and then you know get that burnout because you know we know the directions that this addiction you know, that this disease can take us. But to try to you know build up to where you feel you're in a place where you are not working on yourselves, but also helping to contribute to uh, someone else's life. Uh, some families are able to do that while they're in, while their loved one still is in treatment. I Highly encouraged starting the process of learning and learning about yourself and learning about the disease before getting to that. Uh, Dr. Grant, um... yes how might parents be watchful for the early signs that something is not right? Um, you know, some, some teens are experimenting with drugs, but what, what can they look for to think to be concerned about the issues of experimenting with drugs and what can parents do at that stage? Uh, So I, I always encourage parents like, um, they're like, "So what do I have to pay attention to for my my other children?" Uh, yeah, you know, just be continuing to be present in their lives. because um, one thing that this disease can do is take you out of your life, take you out of everyone else's lives, and push people away. For parents, it's important to be able to maintain that presence in their children's lives. Yes, give them that independence you know, that is necessary. And at the same time, let them know that, hey, you know, if you're going through something, please come to me. And letting them know that, yes, it is safe. If it's 3 p.m. or 3 a.m., come to me. Let me know that you're struggling. Um, be present with them in small things, because then in the big things, they're going to come to you and let you know that, hey, there is something going on. Um, noticing those behavioral changes as well. Uh, so if there's any isolation, paying attention to that, or they're, they're you know, eliminating fun things from their lives, uh, because we know there's one thing about teens, they enjoy having a good time. If they're cutting out their friends, it's also something to pay attention to. And then if they're um, struggling with that mindset of just, you know, that, that hopelessness, that helplessness, to also say, hey, there's something more going on and to have that courageous conversation with them because who knows that courageous conversation at that moment can be the, uh, the catalyst to someone you know, going into a direction that's going to be helpful. So we've talked a lot about um, addiction being a family disease, and uh, we certainly felt that um, in my family, having uh, one of our children uh, take us there. Um, Are there things we can do? Are there anything you you think that a family can do to sort of protect the family unit while um, you're experiencing this? So... Yes. Um, each family member um, takes that personal, uh, that deep self inventory of what is it that they're contributing to the unit. Okay. And, so, and then also, what are we contributing to the life of the, our loved one that's afflicted with the, the disease? Um, what is it that I'm doing that is helping them? And what, are, what is it that I'm doing that's hurting? And to be honest with yourself, because that's modeling. That's modeling for the individual with the disease, like how to be honest, how to you know keep themselves accountable. you notice that there's a slip up in the pattern that you're engaging in with them, you know, let them know that. Vulnerability is is key for parents, um, especially early in this process, um, and as it goes on, like if, you, if there's concerns bring it up in a way that is meant to be helpful, beneficial, not shame. As, we, as one thing that we do know is that individuals who, are, who experience this disease, they're used to the shame, they're used to the guilt. So we gotta find a way to be able to encourage them to be able to open up uh, to avoid that shame. Dr. Grant, I've read about new medical treatments for people with substance use disorders. And I'm wondering how encouraging the outcomes are for these treatments, especially compared with what was available a few years ago. So uh, the treatments like naltrexone, naloxone, uh, suboxone, they're, they're great. The outcomes are great. Uh, as long as the individual is uh, followed up on by a, uh, I would say, a reputable professional. Yeah. Uh, a professional that is willing to provide them with that support. Um, I come from the school, and some people will disagree with me on this, that the best outcomes are the medication plus therapy. So when someone is on a, like a medically assisted treatment medication, now, that's great. Like have them stay on it and go through. Therapy and it doesn't have to be weekly therapy. It could be a couple times a month. It could be once a month, especially if they're you know further along the line. But to still maintain the connection with another provider who's able to you know keep their eye on them as well and maintain that connection. Um, the outcomes, yeah, you know, the outcomes are great. And the, what they, for a lot of these medications, what they, what, what they're most effective in doing is decreasing those cravings that lead someone to using Um, and by doing so you know they're able to maintain their you know their recovery path Um, i know there's some controversy about whether it's true recovery versus medical assisted treatment for me i i still consider it true i still consider it true recovery because they're not deep into that lifestyle that's destructive for them. They're, for many patients, it's, they're able to continue a, a, a life worth living for them. Dr. Grant, um, you know, when I first entered this world and, and, uh, I met the doctors and therapists and, uh, you know, I heard the term that this is the treatment team. So, um, If you, you know, as you are part of this treatment team as a psychologist, what do you do for the patients in recovery? So my role as a psychologist is uh, providing the uh, psychological assessment, um, assessment of their mental health needs. So identifying services that would be beneficial for them, uh, especially in our setting. Um, You know, so the kinds of groups, kinds of interventions that would be important um identifying uh therapies that we could use while they're in treatment um now what's having someone for 28 days we can't uh we're, we're limited on in some of the the kinds of therapies because some therapies take like take four weeks to really get someone established in that rapport is building um, so we're you know focused on more like the brief solution focused uh approaches um, identifying like dynamics within their family, within their background that may interfere with moving forward in in recovery as well. Dr. Grant, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.